0: Welcome to the October edition of the CCA podcast. I'm your host, Gareth K. Vial, and I've got four interviews lined up this month. Two artists presenting in the CCA galleries, an appearance from Cultural Tenants' document who have their Human Rights Film Festival at the end of the month, and a transatlantic conversation with Ron Athey, a familiar face around the CCA, I guess, a live artist who is returning with his latest work through the popular Buzzcut Double Thrills event in October. Today's guests range from the Experimental performance art of 180 to my first set of guests who I'm going to be speaking to in a moment, the Document Human Rights Film Festival. I have two guests coming from the festival to talk to me. In fact, let's dive straight in. Would you mind introducing yourselves?
1: Sure. I'm Sam Kenyon. I'm the head of programming at Document Film Festival.
2: I'm Sana Yahul. I'm a programmer at the festival.
1: Great. Okay, so the first thing, it kind of describes itself a Document Human Rights Film Festival, but what is the Document Human Rights Film Festival? Uh, Document is um, it's a small film festival that explores human rights issues globally and locally and also um, the sort of aesthetics and ethics, I suppose, of representation in film. So basically who gets to speak and how do they speak when we mm-hmm. speak on film. You've been going for quite a few years now at the CCA. What year is this for you? This is the 17th yeah. edition. So yeah, really rich heritage of the festival. So Anna, how long have you been involved with the festival? This
2: will be my second edition, um, mm-hmm. so I did last year for the first time. And Sam's been doing this three, this is your third,
1: isn't it? Yeah, well I was involved as a, as a submissions viewer for a few years before that, so I've kind of, yeah, grown up with the festival a wee bit. And how do you define your role within the organisation?
2: Um, uh, it's sort of changed a bit um, over the course of my involvement, but right now I've sort of worked with Sam on the programme mainly, and aside from that I, I help out with the production of the festival as well, but mainly involved with the programme.
0: Okay. Well, we're a couple of weeks away. It begins on the 24th. It runs over the weekend to the 27th. Do you have any highlights that you'd like to start with? I know it's difficult to pick a
1: single film or There's a couple so of films, <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm personally most excited about is our opening night because it's something that we've been kind of working on um with the artist for a couple of years to try and get them to come up and perform um, and it's a multimedia mm-hmm. piece by Jay Bernard who's a poet and filmmaker who recently won the Ted Hughes award for a piece called Surge <clears throat> which is a multimedia piece exploring a kind of poetic through line from the um, from the new crossfire in the 1980s in London to Grenfell and kind of the interlinked histories of race and class in the UK um, so Jay is going to perform on our opening night and do a Q&A afterwards as well which I think is really exciting. Mm. Well, that's a great start to the festival, isn't it? Yeah, I hope so. I think it'll be a really powerful and beautiful piece. Um, it's actually been published in June of this year, so you can get it um, just now as well as a, as a volume of poetry. It's really, really excellent. Sana, what do you fancy to recommend as your top tip?
2: Ooh. Well, I'm quite excited about, um, well, from the opening to the closing, I guess, um, I'm quite excited about our closing film, which... I guess we'll need to talk a bit more about the programme, but it's, um, it's a new work by Gien Trinh Thi, who's um, a Vietnamese experimental artist involved with Hanoi Doc Lab, um, and her new film is sort of all about um, the decolonising and, and reclaiming of indigenous, indigenous narratives in Vietnam. Um, it's a really beautiful essay film, and it kind of ties together a lot of what we're looking at this year. So that'll be our closing, which I would really recommend people coming to.
0: My impression then from just those two is that there's a little bit of a theme this year dealing with what I'd call post-colonial issues. Is is that fair, Sana, Do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's also something we've been looking at for qu- our document has been looking at for quite a while. I think this year we're lo- looking at that particularly through a lens of indigenous voices and um, environmental themes in a very very expansive manner, I guess
1: yeah I mean absolutely I mean one of the artists in focus that we we usually have maybe something like a mini retrospective or something like that and this year it'll be with an artist called Anna Vash um, whose work is kind of somewhere between I guess ethnographic documentary and sort of speculative fiction and she's made a new work um, a new feature film which is not finished yet but she'll present a kind of work in progress version of that film which kind of takes the Fukushima disaster as a kind of starting point to explore something about post-colonial narratives but also sort of speculative futures about the environment and stuff like that and at a time I guess when environmental issues are kind of at the forefront of everybody's mind we hope that that's a, mm. a kind of engaging way to approach the festival this year
0: now it's called document so I assume you're going to get lots of documentaries but it seems that you're throwing lots of other things into the mix
2: I mean yes well one thing we're doing this year which I'm, it might be a first I'm not entirely sure but we're we're also looking at a different type of documentary, I guess. We're, sh- we're um, staging a sound installation. It's a documentary by uh, a Canadian Indigenous uh, sound artist called Edziu. It's a work called Gimiani, and it's it's about it's sort of um, a documentary made up of narratives told by her family and kind of generational narratives of her community coming through, which will staged through CCA. So that'll be quite an interesting new thing for us to do and then there's a lot of really fun things going on this year Sam.
1: Yeah we're, we're hopefully branching out into the realms of fun this year. Um, our producer Richard was telling us the other day that he'd, he'd met an old friend who was a big fan of the festival but they'd said to him I love Document but it's very depressing and I think that's probably <laughs> um, yeah a lot of people's kind of impression of us but this year we're having fun um, and we're actually going to have a club night which is linked to a film called Lisbon Beat which is one of the best films in the programme. Um, it's a film made by a London-based DJ called Rita Meyer who's from Lisbon originally um, and it's about the kind of rich history of Afro-Portuguese music cultures in Lisbon um, and it features a lot of artists who release on a, a, a Lisbon-based label called Principe um, which is some of the for my money some of the best music around in the world today um, so exciting and <laughs> really brilliant and um, yeah we're going to have a club night with them at Stereo on the Saturday night and then on the Friday night actually we're teaming up with Ando Glaso, who are a mm-hmm. Govan Hill based collective uh, who support all sorts of uh, Roma music and we're going to have a Gypsy Jazz evening here yeah. at the CCA On the Friday night. So that'll be a free, very relaxed affair. Um, Everybody's welcome to come to that. That's amazing. I didn't realize that you were having two musical related events like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. The interesting question for me is human rights and film are both in the title of the festival. Mm. How do you balance that? Because obviously film is an an aesthetic medium, it's about the artwork, then human rights are a political medium. How do you balance the way things are shown as opposed to the importance of the content that you've got?
1: Well, I think on the one hand, we do try and take quite an expansive view of of what it means to represent Mm. human rights issues and what it means to represent people's and political issues. So in that sense, we don't really think that there's a huge distinction between a discussion of an issue and a discussion of the way that it's been presented. But I mean, that being said, the festival's got a long history of links with um, the universities and academics who kind of work much more on the kind of like the political side of things. Um, so the program is supported and animated by individuals and organizations from across a wide spectrum of different interests. So whether that's introductions or Q&A's after the film. so. We hope that anyone who comes to see a document film is then also participating in a conversation with experts and with people who kind of know what they're talking about when it comes to the kind of intricacies of of the politics involved.
2: Yeah, and I think we have we have I think this year struck quite a good balance in terms of the amount of quite um not straightforward but, but quite clear issue based activist filmmaking and maybe more artistic approaches to the human rights framework. So
0: well, it's very exciting to have a documentary that's a sound installation as well Mm. plus the couple of nights that you've got the music upstairs the dj night over in stereo stereo that's right is it important that conversation is at the heart of the festival do you think Sana?
2: i think so i think i think a large you know one of our core aims in this is nurturing discourse around all the topics we're looking at also making sure that like sam said like that we get a lot of different voices involved because it, it isn't just our vision on what human rights are what these particular topics are it's about looking at that in the most you know in the broadest way possible i guess
0: the sensation i'm getting from the eventual describing is it's not just a case of throwing a film on and letting people watch it there's a sense of partnership and engagement with the artist a mm-hmm. partner's quite a big part of what you get into in creating the programme?
2: Yeah, I mean, we've got quite a number of partnerships, we can maybe talk about a few. We're working, there's a few people that we're working with for the first time this year, or that we've not worked with in a while at least. We'll be working with Arika and the Unity Centre, for example, which is really exciting uh, Aperture Asia and Pacific Film Festival, um, that's a first time partnership as well. And then people that we've worked with a lot in the past, like Gramnet, for example, is a supporter of... Actually, also quite a a key film in the program is like Ai Weiwei's new documentary. The rest, which is all about um, refugee, the refugee crisis, but I guess particularly about refugees coming in to Europe, like at the the situations at the borders of Europe. So yeah, and new things like Docma, we're doing a sort of documentary workshop, which is all about collaborative filmmaking, where you don't need any previous experience. So I guess it's a lot of collaborative practice we look at then coming back in something that's quite an accessible workshop as well.
0: So there's an opportunity for people to start making films, perhaps on the back of having seen things and been inspired, you're giving them a chance to get some of the skills together.
2: Yeah, hopefully. hopefully we'll see some results after the
1: festival i think when we kind of hopefully um we've been building a foundation i guess i mean the festival's been building it for 17 years but we've also been trying to kind of build it in the last few years to be able to do more work year-round so post festival we're hoping that there'll be more opportunities for people to get involved um in actually making films Mm -hmm. um which would be a really exciting move for us yeah i also believe that you've got a symposium as part of the program we do Uh, it's a slightly expanded version of um what used to be the student forum and then became the critical forum and it's basically a symposium event which everybody is welcome to attend and it kind of kicks off the festival on the friday daytime um and this year we're focusing on collaborative practice in documentary filmmaking in particular um so there'll be several kind of uh, speakers throughout the day it'll be from like 11 a.m till 3 p.m um, and one of the keynote films that we're looking at um, as part of the program is a film called solidarity which is made by an artist called Lucy Parker in collaboration with blacklisted construction workers. So it's a film that was made with trade unions, with the artist, with the people involved. And it's a really interesting example of, I guess, an artist and people involved in a, in a political struggle working very directly together um, mm-hmm. and kind of how that can be a generative process for both sides. And that film will screen on the Sunday, on, yeah. on the Friday evening, sorry. Um, yeah. might well. also
2: be worth saying that that's um, uh, also brought to us as collaboration with uh, Lock Scotland. So they are supporting that. Which is very
0: now generous. look, Scotland are, do a lot of visual artists making film. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's the, their angle. So you've got an interesting balance there. Again, the human rights and the aesthetic questions are being brought together, perhaps in the very way the film is being made.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, it's a big part of the festival this year is kind of trying to explore some of those synergies between the way people are now trying to make documentaries, perhaps in a more conscious fashion of, of not contributing to... kind of extractive industry that sometimes documentary can be, um, particularly if you're coming from one part of the world to Mm. another and you're kind of imposing a narrative on it, I think it's very important that filmmakers kind of engage with their process in that way. And you're doing something interesting with the Creative Lab space upstairs, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Creative Lab, for people that don't know about it, is a space on the first floor of the CCA um, and it's going to be a large kind of social space for us. Um, and a kind of resource space as well so we're kind of in touch with a lot of local organizations about maybe having stalls there with them kind of any information and literature that they want to have and just to have a presence there and also to have some kind of smaller more informal kind of chats and discussions and things but basically it'll be a space that's open all weekend for anyone Mm -hmm. to come in and if anyone listening to this podcast would like to be in there as a kind of permanent presence they're more than welcome to get in touch with us and yeah we'd love to have them as well
0: well i'm going to tell them to get on with it quickly and get in touch as quick as they can
1: do you have a website
0: that they can contact you through
1: we have a website we have a we have many email addresses um all of our email addresses <laughs> end in documentfilmfestival.org so mine is sam at documentfilmfestival.org but we have an info at org. Yep. so take your pick and of course they need to get in touch quickly because it's the 24th to the 27th
0: yep. of october right. that things are happening well it's very exciting to think about this being in the cca is everything apart from the one night that's a club night out of stereo is it all in the cca is it concentrated here
1: yeah i mean in 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 recent years we've kind of done a few satellite events and I think as we kind of do more year-round activity we'll do stuff um, elsewhere but I think for the type of event that we are we prefer for it to be kind of all in one space in the the hope obviously that people come and see lots of things and get involved and yeah can have kind of a really in-depth experience with the festival. So
0: it's a good place to get your tickets from the CCA box office?
1: It'll be a perfect place to get your tickets.
0: Excellent stuff and can people get sort of season tickets or is it film by film?
2: It is film by film, but we are implementing like, so last year's first time we did this, but we are again using sliding scale ticket pricing. So, you know, it's to keep things as accessible that's possible for everyone so hopefully hopefully we can build on that again this year
0: that's great well thank you so much for taking the time to talk today the Document Human Rights Film Festival takes place between the 24th and the 27th of October that's Thursday evening when is that the the launch night the, the big night the first film is on the Thursday yeah, evening yeah Thursday evening <laughs> and then it goes through to Sunday night Sunday mm-hmm. night okay and the club night Saturday club night is Saturday at stereo and Friday night is a music night yeah Chipsy Friday Jazz night, that's here yep. <laughs> okay excellent well thank you so much again and I'm really looking forward to it <laughs>
2: thank
3: you thanks Gara. <laughs> thank you my next
0: guest today is occupying the downstairs gallery between the 7th of September and the 15th of October Grace would you mind introducing yourself first of all
3: Um, yeah I'm Grace Schwind and I'm an artist um, based in London Mm -hmm. German And I work with different media, film, sculpture, performance and drawing.
0: Now, that's always my worst question that I ask artists. What is your medium? Because they will always say they work across several different things. Now, I understand that Five Surfaces All White is an installation.
3: Yes, exactly.
0: Can you tell me a bit about, well, how did it come to be? How did you end up at the CCA?
3: Well, actually, I did a residency here in 2012. So that's quite a long time ago now. And I um, was working on another film back then. So I used the residency to actually prepare designs and so on. And then I just kept in touch um, with the people here. And um, then, yeah, we just started to talk about an exhibition like quite a long time ago. And um, then we kind of started to focus on this film that they co-commissioned with one other gallery and we actually made the film together, you know, CCA kind of took over the production role as well. So
0: that's what people are going to experience going into the space is, is a film.
3: Yes, exactly. So so we I made a film and, but for me, I guess, because I think very sculpturally or I think a lot about um, kind of what happens when an audience comes into the space you know what's that? What that body is doing in the space, and how and how you invited to enter a gallery, and how you mm. kind of prevent to enter a gallery, and um, or be prevented, or what you think you have to do in a gallery. So I I think a lot about the space, and it's, I mean I guess also especially in this film, it was actually a lot about um, the research was about. Um, Well, it's a very personal story combined with kind of theoretical research, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, about mental health institutions and the history of the architecture. And that was then because I work within the context of galleries, I started to also think a lot about, well, I did before always, but like think really more um, specifically about the architecture of galleries Mm -hmm. and how the body is kind of led through a space seemingly neutral, but of course it's not you know, starting with a font of the information text and so on and so forth. Like it's all, you know, quite has Mm -hmm. quite specific histories. So this made me really want to show the film as an installation in a way Mm -hmm. to really, like for example, how we set it up now is that when you come in, you actually kind of see the backside of the screens and it's it's created like a corridor that you almost enter like the backside of mm-hmm. the space or something like so um, you walk along this corridor so you only hear the sound and then you go around it and you see it from the front um, and also um, in the film the, there are five surfaces which are five walls and it's not about like doing the same in the exhibition than in the film because in the film the five walls are really like a set, function as a set, and then in the gallery space it functions like screens really. But it's always this question for me is like how can a film exist, you know, this digital file, can how can it exist as a thing in the world Mm.
0: um yeah there's some great questions about the use of architectural space and how it defines our experience as viewers of a film so as opposed to just sitting in an auditorium watching it on one wall you're Mm. giving us a a journey into the film itself Mm. and asking questions of what film is and how it works which i think is really an exciting thing as well there's also questions about what is the gallery space and how does that relate to some public institutions for health as well. You hmm. did say it was a personal, so there's personal aspects to it as well as it being theoretical. What was the inspiration, first of all? Why, why this topic?
3: Um, well, one the, the kind of personal experience of this is that um, I it actually started um, with an, a conversation with my grandfather. I was very close to my grandfather, and I made a lot of work with him actually because I interviewed him endlessly about the Second World War mainly. <laughs> And so I'm the kind of third generation in Germany after the Second World mm-hmm. War, um, and so I think I ha- I kind of asked different questions to the generation of my um, gra- of my parents, which the which was also you know some of the research was based on this um, socialist patients c- uh, collective, which had generation which is this generation above me in a way, um, you know questioning kind of. Well the relationship between capitalism and Nazi um mm-hmm. time and its structures and how that continued or uh, yeah and so on. And um in the context of mental health institutions. And um so actually um when I was um visiting my grandfather the last time on his deathbed, he was in an institution. Um and so it yeah, it came it kind of came together because I was at that time looking a lot at the architecture, the history of architecture of mental health institutions. And um, then I was inside one, and kind of all all this history came together that I was always talking to him about. And um, so he was kind of uh, going in and out of consciousness. And at one point he kind of, you know, came to it again and said five surfaces all white. Mm. So he's like, oh, I I thought, okay, he he must mean this space here, you know, because he was, I think, suffering a lot from not being at home, I I think. And the room had actually five surfaces because the floor, three walls, white, and the ceiling. And the fourth wall was a window wall, like kind of completely window, which looked onto a graveyard. Ah, okay. So this is all found in the script then, you know. Um, And I kind of had like, oh, I want to... Kind of use my body to prevent him seeing it, you know, because I, th- I thought this is terrible. Mm. Um, it's like too, too like functional. Yeah, kind of was thinking about the body and turning the body. And I think now in the installation, what I also want to, what was important for me, is that the viewer doesn't forget their bodies when looking at the work. And um, I, I always want to provoke, like also physical, emotional reaction. And this the movie basically moves across the screens, so you have to turn your body to look at the new to look watch the film you know mm-hmm. and rather than kind of sitting in this auditorium where your body disappears, I want to point to the body, so that was kind of not one attempt of doing it, you know, yeah yeah
0: because I, I really love the the title it's very it's evocative really the five surfaces and the whiteness because that is something we associate with institutions mm. but also with the gallery space but also with the exactly. screen that you project onto but I, i'm a bit shocked to be honest that they had a window that looked onto a graveyard yeah. there's there's a little bit of insensitivity i feel I know. In that. Or, 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 or do you think there was a symbolism there that they were engaging with as an well, o-
3: institution i mean normally institutions like from what I was researching, I mean, my research was totally limited. You know, I've, I, I don't know. I read maybe ten books. You know, it's, uh, um, and then I interviewed some people. But it's, it, um, but basically the idea is a bit that you always forget the outside. Actually, like especially when they're dealing with mental health issues. Like in that case, it was it was also hospice. So yeah, yeah. people to die, and. So the the kind of idea, which was also one idea to realize here, as part of the exhibition, but um, well, we didn't. So. Um, but it's like to, that you kind of, that one story that kind of stuck into my mind was, but that related to mental health institution, that you go through the door, the entrance door, it closes behind you, and then you turn around and it's a bookshelf, you know. So the okay. idea is actually to stop seeing the outside. So mm. I don't know the history of that building. Maybe the graveyard was there before i don't know but it seemed a bit
0: rough it seems very rough and quite intrusive and quite yeah. almost antagonistic to the way you'd expect the architecture to work
4: in, in a place
0: like that in a hospice or uh, somewhere where you're looking after people with mental health issues that just seemed to provoke it but of course obviously you've been working with that as an idea and it's something to that's come out of it yeah That's sort a of challenge
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing that was also a nice experience in terms of bodies was that my grandfather, um, so he was a soldier in the Second World War during the whole time, and um, a radio transmitter, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was saying that, um, you know, like one strategy, so like to kind of continue living after the war um, was for him to like do one dance per day Um, you know to not basically kill yourself Mm -hmm. or I don't know that's yeah that's quite quite a
0: strong artistic response isn't it to try and cope with something in that way I think
3: yeah like it is because it's kind of impossible to live after the second world war you know like how can you live after that horror it's impossible and so he had that strategy and even on his deathbed he was like doing this dance you Mm -hmm. know and before he was teaching me the dance and we were dancing together often and even when he was like on his relato he was like doing it you know it's like completely heartbreaking but and then on his deathbed he did it too mm-hmm. so the um, film is is the dance and the film is that dance mm-hmm. you know I mean it's it's like a developed choreography from that but it's based on that and it's this idea yeah so the film really is about also about different attempts to communicate, mm. you know, actually like in retro- like in retrospect, thinking about what is this film about, it's about death, and okay, it's about space, you know, these architecture spaces that kind of control or t- mm. tell us how to move our bodies. It's also actually all these different ways trying to communicate, like with text, with music, with sounds, with movements, mm-hmm. with, you know, singing. And also that's why I use worked work with a horse, because horses have, you know, they they have a specific. They're specifically sensitive, and actually used um, in like this uh, therapy to um, help people who have speech impairments. So. Speech difficulties of Mm. all sorts. I don't know how they do it, but they somehow help.
0: (laughs) Amazing, amazing things. So, pulling all these things together, I mean, it does seem at heart quite a personal project you're engaging with your own family history, but it seems to stretch out in so many different directions as Mm. well. I guess you needed the five surfaces to stretch in all of the directions that you were going in. And that idea of the two dimensional screen where there's a simple projection, that really wouldn't have been enough for a project like this, would it?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I would have kind of felt that. I'm, you know, it would have been a little bit um, defeating the purpose of this idea of pointing to the body, like that. You know, that mm-hmm. would be lost, and that's quite an important part for me. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, I don't know. It's always in the, like I always try different attempts. There's, there's also, you know, a screen, a straightforward screening, is, I don't know. There's also some kind of sensation about losing your body for that time. Uh, you know there's also something interesting going to the cinema and like mm. forgetting that you exist i don't know and pretend you're in this world and but yeah, so i think that there's different ways of dealing with it yeah
0: wonderful stuff so five surfaces all white is on from the 7th of september to the 13th of october grace thank you so much for coming in and taking time to talk
3: thank you very much for inviting me
0: my next guest today is another person who is part of the Some Things Want to Run sequence of exhibitions with an atmosphere of joyful contemplation, which I'm looking forward to very, very much. Just from the title alone, would you mind introducing yourselves, first of all?
5: Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so my name is Yasmina Sibits, I'm an artist. I'm a Slovenian artist living in London for the past 15 years. And I'm delighted to be at the CCA with this show. Is this the
0: first time that you've been to the CCA?
5: I have actually done um, uh, a collaboration with um, Viviana for The Political Animal. Oh, yes, yes, quite recently. Yeah, yeah.
0: And how how was that as an experience? Did you enjoy it?
5: It was amazing, but it was also, it was a bit bittersweet because this was a conference which was being in the planning for two years because Mm -hmm. of the fire. So it was, yeah, it was kind of a year later than it was supposed to be. And it was just really interesting um, to kind of see another very rare format of an institution that brings together thinking mm. rather than um, yeah rather than pragmatism and.
0: That's one of the great things about doing this podcast is I get the opportunity to talk to people who are involved in thinking about stuff so often. It's it's a very educational experience for me to find out what's going on and what kind of linkage there is and what ideas are going on. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're bringing to the CCA?
5: So my practice is quite complex. I hope not complicated, but it is complex. And all my works are effectively um, research projects. So I like to think of them as readers which then uh, expand and uh, overflow exhibition spaces. So my exhibitions are immersive installations where film, performance, objects, props and sculpture come together to create um, sort of a new liaison between archival forms of knowledge and the contemporary spectator. Mm
0: -hmm. So what was the particular inspiration for for this installation? Where did it start for you?
5: The project here is actually a culmination of a few of the projects from the past years. So we have a trilogy of films, which I have worked on uh, with a number of institutions across the European space and some other elements from different projects. But somehow the guiding line really became this uh, sort of thinking about architecture as a form of power Mm -hmm. and patriarchal structures and how those patriarchal structures still resonate within our built and lived society.
0: Do you find the gallery itself has a certain uh, patriarchal structure to it that enforces itself on exhibitions that are in it?
5: Well, it's interesting, I guess, because I really like to dig into um, kind of authoritarian space and how it uses architecture and art to create a kind of a scenographic backdrop, if you want, mm-hmm. which then imposes um, some form of power. So, of course, art institutions are a form of authority, we like it or not. Um, but I am very interested in the institutions that try to fight this this canon. And of course, you know, because of just the bureaucratic and pragmatic nature of an institution being an institution and having to function, um, it's... It's kind of like a kind of a push and pull obviously for each institution to try and do that. But um, I like failures or I like the attempts of um, anti-failure. Mm-hmm. and I think that that's where interesting things happen. So I think CCA is one of those um, amazingly innovative and still um, you know very well unfortunately rare spaces that really wants to walk this fine line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within the recent years of, you know, well, we we all know where we are politically. Um, Yes, yes, we do, sadly, yeah. (laughs) And unfortunately, you know, we've really seen how um, cultural capital has become, again, um, almost kidnapped by um, kind of ideological uh, attempts at kind of rewriting, um, you know, strategies of bread and circuses for the audiences and so on. Um, and especially institutions that are uh, prone to survival uh, based on public funding, um, even more so because they need to tick the boxes uh, of, you know, sort of public funding and so on. And, and where that is going is also you know, well, things are getting quite interesting, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, certainly interesting is a euphemism, I think, for, for challenging and problematic yeah. most of the time. But the CCA does seem to be a space that challenges those ideas. For example, it has the open source programming, which means people can bring things in and it allows this diversity of events to happen. But what interests me is you've talked about this installation being immersive. And is there something in immersive work and work that breaks down the boundaries between different media so you have film in there this performance in there there's lots of different things it's questioning the space itself which is something I love as a medium also a way of exploring a gallery is when you feel the work is challenging the space it, do you think that in itself that combination is quite a subversive way of addressing the gallery
5: yeah I mean, it's a really really good point of entry I think into the practice um, and I'll I'll step one step back there was there's there's a Russian artist who brilliantly said every artist compensate what is lacking and I come from former Yugoslavia and what we still lack is an art system mm-hmm. so within my works I have always created systems which means I create um, new collaborations. I work with now quite an established team of people, but we always have new people coming in, new researchers, new curators, new thinkers, new architects, and so on. And we really try to create this um uh, a friend of mine called it a rolling snowball mm-hmm. that kind of kind of collects new people and new thoughts. Mm-hmm. and it really is about creating um, a paradigm of a system which sort of stands, not necessarily in opposition, but maybe um, apparel to the normal flow of events and just tries, attempts, again, just attempts to um, to, to create or like a, to suggest a new way of functioning.
0: Well, I think being suggestive or elusive or trying to move to all things does allow the spectator or the audience member or the, the viewer or the reader to, to find their own space as well in it, even though it's immersive. There's still a lot of negotiation or conversation with the person who's observing as well which seems that seems in itself to be a parallel way of doing things as opposed to what we do see in perhaps the the rush of contemporary political culture which is about giving information and giving an absolute vision you're allowing a little bit more space for the person to come into it and find their own way through it.
5: I guess you know it's 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 about being didactic or not didactic and you know when when a practitioner deals with kind of quite complex themes, I think a lot of the times institutions uh, or spectators as well on their own right, um, are a bit scared of the content. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I think we've been just programmed to do to so when we think about uh, politically engaged or critical art, we sort of think, Ooh, you know, it has this kind of very rigorous intellectualized structure. And, um, it's it's not so, you know. Uh, we should not be ever afraid to immerse ourselves into anything, and also every opinion matters. And again, coming from former Yugoslavia, you know, we have been really prone to this sort of overintellectualization of contemporary art, and we have seen what that has done to our audiences, and we have practically lost them. Really, it's been it's been unpleasant. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Okay. Um, but also because we don't have a. We don't have a private art market, which in its own weird way has been problematic because everything really relies on institutions and public funding. So institutions are left to their own devices. That means there's no crossover between public and private. And um, the state, of course, does not have any more money to put to institutions. So there's lots of money going into walls. But nothing to program. Oh, okay. So the idea of audience and especially education um, is, you know, is something that a lot of us are really struggling to mm. try and bring back. Mm. But of of course, also a lot of us has have moved abroad. So, you know, it's easy to be smart when you're not there.
0: Yeah. And how long have you been away from from home, as it were? How long have you been in so London? So I
5: moved, I moved away when I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I studied in Italy and then came to London to do my master's and just stay there. So I've been in London for about 15 years.
0: What is it about London that attracted you particularly?
5: We had a very strange academic system in 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 Slovenia, which was still very, it was an old school format. So, you know, you would do your charcoal drawings and you know, your skeletons and so on. Um, And there was a lot of us who went to Italy to study or Austria, which were kind of the affordable ones. And the Italian academies at that point, so this is now kind of late 90s I'm talking about, were also very, very rigid and not um, particularly prone to sort of new formats Mm -hmm. of thinking and rethinking. So after I finished my degree there, I thought, well, if I want to make a go at critical thought, I probably need to go somewhere else to think if there is a methodology yeah. that might be interesting. Mm-hmm. And I went to Goldsmiths, and it was interesting. Again, you know, we're with the word interesting. Um, and uh, but I, what was quite strange was that it took me then 15 years after that to realize then the, you know, the other uh, kind of political um, and and social structures that then exist within mm. the art world.
0: Absolutely, it's a different set of political structures everywhere you go, really, isn't it? So you're always going to be rediscovering yeah. what's lying underneath one of the things I was very excited when I was reading I don't know I'm always concerned when I read the previews of things how much of that has been written a long time ago and how much it actually speaks to what's going on but one of the things I think and you've mentioned the patriarchy and addressing patriarchal concerns in architecture uh, one of the things is about how the female body has been utilized in political design and particularly the silenced political voice of women within nation building is, is that something that Is a concern of yours that you're perhaps giving voice to people who've been silenced?
5: Well, it's more about... So I work with archives a lot and I like to work with... Dead states and dead ideologies. Um, And it's a bit of a kind of, I guess, a a turn on, you know, when people say it's easy to work with a dead artist, well, it's easy to work with a dead ideology because we have its birth and its death. Mm -hmm. And because history repeats itself and these patterns just continuously reemerge, I just find it really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Also, because, you know, we can actually really make quite a nice and interesting. And extremely relevant study of you know the structures and the decisions that brought about um, a certain look because effectively I am interested in um, in, in the kind of the theatrical structures of uh, ideology. So um, to put it in kind of um, in a different way of how sort of a new nation state, let's say, or a new ideology, how does it decide on its um, uh, political style, on its um, on the colors that are going to um, um, forward its um, sort of just the scenography of its um, kind of display and so on so in this um, so the, the NADA film trilogy that is um, on show in, in the exhibition at the, uh, the CCA is, um, is effectively looking at three star modernist architects of the 20th century that have somehow been called upon and commissioned to represent a sort of a new uh, a, a, a new blank page let's put it that way Uh, of of a nation-state or an ideology. And I've been somehow um, interested in the, well, for obvious reasons, in the moments of European crisis or the crisis of European identity. Um, So I've been looking at the 20th century and I did did initially start my research with former Yugoslavia because I was very interested in this post-Second World War space uh, when Tito and Stalin have a big fallout. And this is effectively a moment that... um, somehow forces Yugoslavia to find its new aesthetic ground. Now, why this is very interesting also in relation to current sort of European Union uh, situation is, um, you know, kind of how do we kind of create this aesthetic space? Now, In terms of former Yugoslavia, this was also, it was a federation. So you had six republics that did not have really a shared cultural aesthetic space. And after the Second World War, it was kind of this first moment and also with the non-aligned movement when former Yugoslavia really kind of wanted to create a, a coherent uh, national narrative and literally sort of impose it. Um, and um, obviously with the break with Stalin, all socialist realism goes out of the window. And of course, politicians, they don't know what they want because you know they are not artists, they are not architects, but they know what they do not want. Mm-hmm. So kind of going through the archives um, surrounding that period of the 50s has been really quite inspirational to see how the design by committee worked, uh, how architecture was decided upon, how monuments were decided upon, but also what incredible freedom the artists and the architects were given. So there are discussions when the politicians are debating how long an artist should go to the seaside for, to get Mm -hmm. inspiration. So it's this really, really interesting little kind of perturbances of histories mm-hmm. that kind of come out from these from these um, kind of researches. And the other one, so the other um the other chapter of the NADA films was looking at uh, Weimar, Germany. So I was looking um, through sort of, again, a historical lens at three points of time of Germany. So the Weimar Germany, 1920s, and then, of course, the Nazi Germany, and then the democratic Germany, specifically focusing on 1958 and the Brussels World Expo, where all the, all the countries um, of Europe had time to really think of how they will represent themselves mm-hmm. to the new post-Second World War world. Um, and through the through the kind of the German study, I was again sort of following the political debates in shaping um, the aesthetics of these three different
0: Germanies. It seems very exciting to look at these different kinds of modernity and the way in which a nation presents itself. That seems very timely and I hate to bring it up, but the UK is going through something of that, I think, at the moment in terms of how does it perceive itself in the context of Europe as Brexit happens or doesn't happen or all of these things how do we appear as a nation and what kind of architectures are going to emerge from this? I think it's probably going to be rubble the way things are going at the moment. But that aside, it does seem as if bringing these films together at this time seems very much of the moment.
5: It's an interesting one. Um, uh, I think it was actually Merkel who said, uh, we are beyond the time of nation states, but mm. we are kind of back in there. Yeah. And it's quite an interesting one because, you know, everybody's talking about transnationalism and, you know, again, you know, within the projects that are presented here. Um, I've been looking at the non-aligned, for example, and the the new project I've been recently working on was actually looking at the League of Nations. So this kind of like the first attempt of transnationalism in Europe, which until now, they have all failed. But again, you always have to fail to get to the next phase. And, you know, also with the European Union, you know, I mean, for us from former Yugoslavia, it's a it's really ringing very close to home mm. so you know the brexit referendum happened 25 years and one day after our yugoslav referendum that caused yugoslavia to break up ah, okay so, so the echoes of history it's an interesting one really to look at you know specifically with former yugoslavia because 25 years after you know when when one looks at the six republics we have more debt that we had uh, when yugoslavia broke up you know so you know kind of speaking about also of course it's a peace project But also, you know, the peace project is always, always embedded uh, with with an economic project as well. So it's, I just think it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting time to be looking at that um, and kind of just the echoes of this kind of historical traces and what they can tell us about ourselves today. And again, you know, where does art sit within this? And I don't know, I had this recent uh, conversation with a friend of mine going like, where are the right wing artists? You know, which is...
0: That's something I often ask as well. Not not that I'm particularly keen to see right wing art, but it does seem where is that balance? Where do they disappear to? What do they do? Do they remove themselves from art? I mean, it's the same with uh, in theatre, which is my main area. There's not very many right wing plays that are being written at the moment.
5: It's just an interesting, you know, uh, well, I think we all feel that it's time to get angry again. Mm-hmm. And then how do you then process that within your art? And of course, you know, not, not all art is overtly political. And, you know, it doesn't need to be and there's no right or wrong. Um, and, you know, I don't really want to be doing banner art Um I mean, as you know, just to kind of try to explain sort of where I sit, you know, so my whole idea, and this is going back to immersive experience in theater, it's really about working with historical ready-mades and reforming them in a new theatrical structure, where then the audience is, you know, free to create their own narrative and, you know, really sort of immerse themselves up to the level they want to. And again, I'm going to quote an artist friend of mine who he works in, in the field of um, uh, nuclear physics, but nobody of us understands what he does. And he always says, well, you know, you might enjoy the colors and that's OK. You know, it's um, and there's nothing wrong with different forms of entry into into a practice or a play or a film. And every opinion is valid.
0: Well, on that note, I think that's a perfect place to remind everyone listening that the an atmosphere of joyful contemplation is happening from the 14th of September through to the 13th of October. Thank you so much for talking today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. My final guest today, Ron Athey, calls in from the USA. He'll be appearing as part of Buzzcut's Double Thrills Bill in the CCA on Wednesday, the 9th of October. Though, no stranger to Glasgow, Athey has been a vital presence on the live art scene for over 20 years, and his latest work is Ancephalous Monster, a spiritual and symbolic reflection on the power of celebration and magic. How are you doing today? You okay?
4: Yeah, I'm pretty good. Excellent. Yesterday I was a little stressed getting last-minute things together, but today I'm relaxing. Excellent. Still have one more.
0: when are you heading over here over to the
4: UK I'm going to go to Berlin to work with Hermes so I'm going to leave on Thursday and be there on Friday and have a few weeks there I have an opening in Antwerp, a group show so I'm gonna do a, yeah a few Euro things and then we get to Glasgow on the third, I believe. Yes. That's a nice little setup. Five days before the show.
0: How are you feeling about coming back to Glasgow? Are you looking forward to it?
4: Absolutely, it's like a, a second home for me. So if I, well, I think the first time was the mid mid '90s. I've been there, so it's it's a good r- repeat. You know, <laughs> I feel like it, between the CCA and and when the NRLA was there, Glasgow's seen more more of my pieces than some other cities have. So. Well,
0: I think as well we've managed to see the the development of your work over the years and how it's changed because we get this kind of snapshot of what you're doing. Because your earliest work, of course, was very concerned with well, there was lots of blood, um, and and not quite so much now. From what I see of the new work, it seems well quite gentle almost.
4: We added another scene. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I am trying, um, I guess I'm still trying to bring video to life, like how you interact with video, with the live, and to, to support some of the ideas, also the projected text. I, I did do a big um, automatism opera last year, and so if you work with um, 40 people, then you want to be solo again. So this this is primarily solo. Um, Haramay's performance with me in the first and the last scene, so it's five scenes. But you
0: still seem to be working in with similar kind of themes, because there's something, uh, a cult or secret society about the foundation of this work?
4: Yeah, that's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. Rather than randomness. But, it, you know, it, it refers to this secret society of acephaly World War II and just before um, occupation of France. You know, it's this trying to use magic against magic in a way. It it, it just, I guess it's a philosophical opening to look at that society in particular, which is looking at Nietzsche, looking at culture as this um, post-death-of-God-empty thing that's trying to fill itself up with radical politics, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, So taking on the challenge of creating, you know, and Bataille uses the term creating new celebrations, Rather, rather than calling it ritual. Yeah. Um, and then, then then you jump forward to some of the writings of Genesis Peoria founded um, Temple of Psychic Youth. And, um, you know, it's the same thing, like trying to take responsibility for these rites of passage and rituals and knowledge and, and demystifying it. In a lot of ways, it's I. I don't want to start a cult, you know. I mean, I don't. I don't want to believe anything. But it's um, uh, it's it's an interesting way to look. Like, how, how do we take responsibility for for ourselves spiritually?
0: Because there always seems to be something in your work that's dealing with perhaps the failures of religion or the absence of God and, and those kinds of questions, which I think are very personal questions to you. But are sort of manifest. You didn't want to use the word ritual, but a way of replacing those kind of religious rituals that have become empty now. Meaningless.
4: I find it more appealing to to steer art in that direction than to um, use it just to um, preach a message that you could do through activism through another group. I'm not against that. It just doesn't. I don't know. There's something magic embedded within making an art piece. So so it it, it's the way I express myself. I look back even at like work from the early '80s. It's still trying to um, have a trying to have a sublime moment. Trying to trigger a phenomena. Through art through you know, these are churchy terms to talk about Um, the collective witness like doing something in an empty room is one thing But doing something with 40 people like-minded people or doing something with 400 people who are more disparate from different backgrounds It it has both all those things have different energies to work with
0: because it does strike me I mean a lot of the way people have talked about your work is in terms of shock and uh, You know the the visceral impact of it, but I've always found your work to be really concerned with these spiritual things So it almost becomes contemplative to me. Maybe that's just me with a high uh, tolerance for for intensity. But (laughs) that that does seem to be an important part, particularly the last piece you did here at the Arches, where you you sort of, we were embalming your body. And there there was something, a a real sort of memento mori atmosphere to that one.
4: And yeah, and and hands on. And it's also up to you whether it's like spiritual or sensual or I don't know. there, There were different modes of approaching that body which is, is what it was supposed to be um yeah this is a little this is more theater in a way but it's you know it's it's a surreal kind of sacred theater so they go through kind of four characters and five scenes ju- just as you know med- meditations on different different characters are the same really using the dionysus versus the crucified one because I, I never leave that um i guess the, the um you know christianity the saints particularly through a catholic lens is is kind of a way of me looking at archetypal images and there's you know there's esoteric theology where you look at the saint irene as a necromancer who brings sebastian back to life there's there's fun chapters on i'm also i'm receiving an award in november from the american academy of religion it's called religion and the arts award
0: yes yes i saw that
4: yeah um so yeah, I looked at you know at first I was like, wow, do they do they know who I am? But of course, there's radical theologians, queer theologians. Um, I, I went to a conference in Buenos Aires a few years ago and talked about that. So you know past people have been like Meredith Monk, Bill Viola for you know more like Buddhist expressions in their work. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so it's kind of it's a, it's kind of an honor to feel like a, a official. Um, religion or you know religion academics get get it and so we'll see how the talk goes at their conference Mm.
0: well well, i think something i noticed you've been talking about as well is the sense that those people who proclaim christianity particularly talking about the far right or or the right the conservative right in america it is as if they don't really believe it anymore they've almost given up
4: They absolutely, if they align themselves with, um, you know, like the scandalousness of Trump and the nihilism of that level of capitalism as well, there is no reality there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They they are not, there's no more holier than thou going on there. They're they're actually have exposed themselves as um, xenophobes, racists, classists. I don't know. They want to keep everyone in their place via the. Trump people that are in power so you know, that they have, um, I feel like because I came from fundamentalists I could always had a feeling for them like okay it doesn't align with the current world but they really believe it but now I actually don't think it's true it's dark, they just haven't moved on to a different system. Mm-hmm. As, as
0: well I've always felt with, with your work that it, it seems to be a process of getting rid of the accretions of religious thinking and going back to something Quite profound spiritual and mystical and generating that both for yourself and for the audience as well. Is, is that just me overreading or is that something that you're interested in?
4: You can feel that emptiness and you know and I keep reading that into this um, secret society stuff too or, or in his interpretation of you know Nietzsche's warnings after the death of God and also the madness of Nietzsche that um, it goes into that um, you know that somebody has to sacrifice for us. someone has to go mad in our place. replacing that rather than being martyred to actually just go mad um and it's it's i don't know it's a a super fun piece to make to just shape shift through um characters but also villains just domestic gods it's to to celebrate the beheading of louis the 16th and so the the louis is almost it's almost comedy well you'll you'll see you can tell me if it's funny (laughs) it's it's mad anyway
0: (laughs) I mean I'm I'm really excited and you you're, you're playing are you playing five different characters did you say as part of it
4: Yeah I go from this kind of fascist character to this Louis the 16th character to um, an apotheosis scene where I become a minotaur. and then um, I become a cephalophore a headless saint like that St. Denise <laughs> sort of um, reference so the, the the there's video of earlier versions but the the last thing's finally um, dialed in. And then there's four different videos that, you know, go through these mythologies. There there is a, a Genesis quote about that. These um, myths and myths and symbols and of the past are are, are not idealized. They're actual people now <laughs> or actual energies. So I think that's some of the spirit, too, to bring, the, bring, bring Minotaur energy, bring, um, bring fantastical creatures into it.
0: And, and that really connects us back to that quote that you used about Dionysus against the Crucified, which is, that's quite late in Nietzsche, isn't it, as well? Um, yeah. Sort of as he's descending into the madness, I think.
4: That is, that, that yeah, that's the crisis within, <laughs> within the madness with mm-hmm. him. It's a moment of empathy like
0: fractures him. Well, well that, that, that's the, the great moment with Nietzsche. the sort of breakdown happens when he sees the horse being whipped as well. So it is this moment of intense compassion that kind of makes everything collapse in on him. I've been always fascinated by what happened with Nietzsche after the madness because it, there seems to be the letters he was writing. There's a continuity in his thought right up to the end. And, and yeah. it's almost as if he's embracing his own philosophy and what is its end point.
4: <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, of course, you know, when I was young, you don't read things in order, so it's just, I didn't understand that the Nazis had appropriated him and and the family, and I, I guess it was a, his walking stick, if it is. Yeah, it, it's dark to take all these power symbols, mm. you know, for for fascism. Too heavy-handed about literally aligning it with what's going on now, but you know, my whole life, you know, every, everyone when any leaders get monstrous you know the specter of hitler's always raised up but for the first time it kind of feels like um when is it too far when 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 do we cross over into an area of like collective guilt for for putting up with it
0: that's a really key thing to me is we're actually getting to a point where the old the old comparisons aren't wicked enough anymore and we're actually experiencing i mean in the uk at the moment i don't know if you uh, even notice the sort of collapse that's going on politically for us, and
4: absolutely because um, why does everyone look like they're from the same family of clowns? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for one day it's just like they could all be related to each other. They're hideous, the weird mop-headed fake blonde <laughs> tribe. The, you know, and even just culturally, I mean, especially in the states, cruelty is the new normal. Is mm-hmm. it? Even beyond malign neglect, like, a, you know, L.A. has more rich people than almost anywhere and more homeless people than almost anywhere. Brutal here. Somebody crawled into my backyard that had um, MRSA all over him and the police came in with rubber gloves and then let him out down the street. I was like, now I'm afraid to touch. T- don't even touch a plant when you're walking down the street. Mm. That, that's what happens when, when people aren't cared for. this like anti-socialist, like taking care of people, thing that the states has taken as far as you can take it. And, and I
0: think that's that's the point. of it. It's going back to the creation of art as a, as a real act of resistance. I mean, not an activist work, as you say. It's not didactic. It's not telling people, but that creating new opportunities in new places. It
4: has a polemic embedded in it, yes. But, yeah, I don't... I don't i just never worked that way to you know i would never say the name trump in a piece yeah. <laughs> maybe 40 years from now <laughs> but not during because that's it's just not you know I, I know you know i've liked some of like karen finley's pieces where like, jesse helms is sexually obsessed with me or you know she works good with, with the, the current but um yeah I think I always want to work with the symbolic and the, the the you know of course the sacred and the profane is the the track I've always been locked into because I um because I wanted more out of life.
0: Well, I think I think that's why I feel such a strong att- attraction to your work because it has that 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 history and heritage behind it as well. You can really feel Western civilization bearing down on it and and, and reconvening that and reworking it so often, and that's what makes it so exciting, at least for me anyway.
4: You know, it's interesting that I already have a lot of knowledge about those particularly California-centric cults and movements, but, you know, to really dig into, like, the um, source family. Yeah, as one of the scholars that work, Jody Willie, she made the source family movie, but said no one ever remembers cults where no one got killed. <laughs> 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 Look back at some of these, like, Father Christmas sex cults. Yeah. You know, they're, the 60s and 70s, it's... Yeah, there are these utopian ideas or or dissociative ideas. Like some of the the UFO cults are are also interesting. And cockamamie.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. It's it's been a a real pleasure.
4: Okay, good to talk to you guys.
0: And that just leaves me to thank Sunny Govan FM for broadcasting, the CCA podcast, Julian Rowan for making it all happen, and Kenny Christie for technical support. And not forgetting my guests who took time to talk to me over the past month. I'm Gareth K. Vial, and I'll be back for the November edition in about 30 days' time. Thanks for listening.